evening. What's up, everybody? I am the dude formerly known as Chief Andrew, back again for Foundations Number 5, Emotional Intelligence. But first, I have to apologize for the extended break that I've taken from delivering you guys content. Um, I got selected to commission last year, and in preparation for OCS, going through the school, now attending um, the courses that I'm attending, uh, I, I had very limited bandwidth available to produce uh, high-quality podcasts that I think that you guys deserve. My goal is to stay dialed in with you all, keep producing podcasts for you all. I have this one. Uh, I have a few others in development that I think we'll find interesting here. But either way, I do want to give a shout-out and a thank you to retired Fleet Master Chief Paul Kingsbury for his help on Foundations Number 4, Influence Tactics. Fantastic job. Highly recommend you go check it out if you haven't yet. It also ties in pretty nicely with foundations number one, power bases. He mentions that a couple times, um, and that can really help operationalize some of the topics that I've at least been talking about at foundations and have generally been talked about at Don't Give Up the Ship. So, uh, obviously, I got selected to commission. Um, So I do want to offer to anybody before we get started, uh, if you are looking to pursue an officer program of some type, feel free to reach on out here at the podcast and I will 100% work and mentor you through the process. Uh, I did the OCS officer candidate school route, which is probably a fun story given my background, but I know a few people who did the limited duty officer and chief warrant officer. So if this is something that you're interested in, feel free, reach out. Let's get you in contact with people um, to help make those goals a reality. I would also recommend to go give a listen to episode 67 of Don't Give Up the Ship, Officer Programs, uh, so that you have a pretty strong working knowledge, but I'm here to support no matter what. So with that said, let's get back to the foundations. In lieu of ever having a sponsor, I've basically created my own. If you want to support us, go to dgutsapparel.com. Don't Give Up the Ship Apparel. Uh, You can find us on Instagram and Facebook at DGuts Apparel. Uh, It's Naval Pride and Heritage gear you'll actually wear in public. I went out of my way to create some really awesome stuff that I think you'll really enjoy. And it's some stuff that I think you'll actually wear. Uh, I hate all the stuff in the Navy Exchange section. I hate a lot of the stuff I see on social media where somebody's side hustle is creating like nauseating gear that no one actually wants except for like crusty old retirees, which I'm about to be. So I don't know if I should uh, talk smack, but anyway, uh, go check it out. Dgutsapparel.com. If you want to support us, that's the best way to do it. And I would really appreciate it. We're going to talk about emotional intelligence. What is it? Why is it important? Particularly, why is it important for leaders in the military? You know, I've talked to a few people about emotional intelligence over the past several years in my experience regarding it, and it always seems that it's the baseline assumption that emotional intelligence is just being able to name an emotion or identify the emotion. And that is part of it, don't get me wrong, but that's not the only thing that you need in order to have effective emotional intelligence. If you asked Mayor Salvini and Caruso back in 2004, they would tell you that emotional intelligence is the capacity to reason about emotions and of emotions to enhance thinking. This includes the abilities to accurately perceive emotions, access and generate emotions, to understand emotions and emotional knowledge, and to reflectively regulate emotions so as to promote emotional and intellectual growth. So... That's super wordy, right? And something that I think that we need to spend a little time on. Given our current medium, I'm going to try and break down that definition and talk about each little part uh, a little bit. So first, 
the capacity to reason about emotions and of emotions to enhance thinking. Emotional intelligence requires a cognitive understanding of emotions. We have to be able to identify what we are seeing or to understand that emotions exist. There is some research that suggests that uh, one of the defining characteristics of being human is to understand emotions outside of simply feeling them. We not only get angry and have the physiological response to anger, such as increased heart rate, dilation of our vascularity, adrenaline, reduced reasoning outside of fight, flight, or freeze, um, but we can also analyze this emotion when we aren't feeling it. This is not to be confused with empathy, though. As the incredibly overused saying goes, this is the 30,000 foot view of what emotion is. That viewpoint, though, can be broken down into four major facets. First facet is the ability to accurately perceive emotions. I'm a father to an incredibly headstrong two and a half year old, um, which is actually probably kind of the reason that this sounds like a after dark episode of talk radio, because I'm trying to keep it down in these incredibly thin walled base housing that I got because I'm right next to his room. So I apologize for that, but incredibly headstrong two and a half year old, right? And the ability to perceive emotions is one of uh, my wife and I's major focuses is to accurately teach him what emotions he is feeling and giving him words to associate with those feelings. You know, once we define the emotion, he can understand that the word frustrated is when he has to put his toys away or when we are done watching Mickey Mouse and he still wants to do those things. Then, once he understands what frustrated is, we can talk about how to handle the emotions in an effective way. Granted, he's two and a half years old, right? These conversations aren't (laughs) the level of depth that we're getting right now. But the, the point remains the same, is that first we need to perceive and understand the emotion ourselves, and then we can talk about how to handle them. And look, I get it. We're not two years old listening to a leadership podcast. Um, But what's the point of me bringing it up now? Well, I would challenge you. Can you accurately tell me the differences in your body and perceptions that generate happiness versus excitement? What are the nuances in your body language? What are the nuances in your facial expressions? What about anger versus just hurt? Melancholy versus disinterest? These are different emotions and they're valuable inputs to what a leader sees or feels or perceives and and needs to manage but if we cannot properly attune our radars or our antenna to pick these things up um, because we don't even understand what they are in us i think we're missing the the nuance to our emotion and the more minute that we can attune our perceptions um, the more equipped we become in understanding them so the second facet of the definition is to access and generate emotions, to understand emotions and emotional knowledge. In the first part, we talked about how it's simply the ability to understand emotions cognitively, to think about the emotion. But this part is talking specifically about feeling the emotion. Jordan and Truth, in in some research that they did, found that out of 108 leadership follower dynamics they evaluated, the team in which the leader demonstrated emotions while maintaining a professional attitude, in quotation marks, were 2.4% more productive than a control group, uh, which I found was was pretty interesting, right? Because at least in my experience, and I think in other people's experience, we've heard that, you know, generating emotion or showing emotion in the sense of leadership is kind of a no-go. It's not, you need to be poised and calm and collected. You know, you can't really be emotional per se. 
Now, what's also interesting, though, is how they actually created these control groups. They created it by both teams had tasks given each day via email. They limited actual leader-follower face-to-face interaction. Um, The control group was given these tasks without the use of punctuation or capitalization typically associated with emotion, such as exclamation points, hyphens, all caps, etc. The test group was allowed to use emotionally charged punctuation. It was a very small difference, but one that proved effective. It showed a 2.4 difference in productivity over the course of nine weeks. Uh, At least according to this specific study, and I want to clarify, this study has has its fair share of critics, and the results have proven to be a little hard to repeat. But despite the possible lack of scientific backing, and I just want to say the possible lack because it Emotions aren't exactly scientific. But anyway, despite the possible lack of scientific backing, it brings up and demonstrates that this aspect of emotional intelligence, this ability to feel the emotion specifically, demonstrates that well. We have to not just understand emotions. You can't be, you know, for my Star Trek nerds out there, you can't be data on the bridge of the Enterprise who understands what happiness is or sadness is or anger or frustration but he can't feel them, right? And you know, there's actually a really good subplot in the whole in the whole series about how he's trying to understand and feel those emotions. Sorry, I'm a little bit of a Star Trek nerd. You're just gonna have to bear with me on that. But back to what we were talking about, right? Like we have to have the ability to feel these emotions. We can't just understand them. Um, and that's why things like mission, vision, and guiding principles are so important to organizations because they activate our emotions towards the community standard. Um, but, you know, maybe that's maybe that's a separate foundations later on down the line about mission, vision, guiding principles and why they, why they work the way they do. So the final aspect of the definition of emotional intelligence we're using is to reflectively regulate emotions so as to promote emotional and intellectual growth. The operative word here is reflectively. We must not only understand emotions in the general and feel emotions ourselves, we've got to reflect on them and how we felt them and what emotions we felt and in what context we felt them. This is perhaps touching the most important, in my mind, aspect of mindfulness uh, and, and the benefits of meditation, but at a minimum, it requires us to consider our emotional reactions to our environment in order to better understand the emotions and how we tend to feel it. So let me elaborate a little bit on that. My happy feels different than your happy. It's the same emotion. There's no doubt about that. We can both experience it and we could probably both identify it in the other one. But when I feel happy, I might describe it as a calm contentment, while you may describe it as inspiring safety. Neither of these is a wrong definition because at our core, emotions are personal. And here's the one thing that I want you to take away from this episode. Leadership is personal, period. Full stop. That's it. It's personal it's it's why emotional intelligence requires personalized attention and effort in things that are as messy as emotions it's foundational fundamental effective leadership i have to spend the time learning who you are to effectively lead you and you need to spend the time getting to know me in order to be an effective follower it's learning the number one thing we can do as leaders and people who work together with the intention of war in general is to learn our emotions. You know, this has led me to um, some previous experiences I had where a good friend of mine told me about 
basic emotions and how all of our emotions and everything that we feel can be related back to them. And I never really looked into it at the time, but it turns out there's actually a very widely accepted theory on emotions developed by Paul Eichmann uh, and that there are six basic emotions, sadness, happiness, fear, anger, surprise, and disgust. The reason these basic emotions are what they are is because they're very easy to recognize based on facial expressions and they're amplified by body language. You know, happiness is expressed with a smile. Sadness is with a frown, some tears. Fear has wide eyes and tense stretched lips. You know, I don't really need to get into the specifics of what each emotion is because I'm sure that you can imagine faces uh, that, that describe these emotions pretty clearly. That's why they're basic emotions, right? They're very easy to define. And actually, this, this leads me to a fun exercise. If you haven't done this before, I recommend it. You know, don't do it at work because you kind of need to be in an area where you're free from, you're worried about whether or not somebody's going to catch you and you're looking weird because you're probably going to look a little weird while you're doing this. But if you can't clearly see yourself and what you look like as you're feeling these emotions, go find a mirror. Go find a mirror and look at yourself and take as deep of a dive as you possibly can into those basic emotions. Try and feel it in that moment. I know it's going to be hard, especially because a lot of these emotions come with chemical changes in your brain that you can't really replicate on demand. But try, you know, and once you see yourself in that emotion, is that what you thought you looked like? Is that how you would want to look when feeling this emotion? It's just something fun to try. And and really, it's going to it's really going to help you mostly on the negative emotions, the anger, the sadness, the frustrations, the disgust, because it's not necessarily developing a poker face, but it is, you need to be able to manage that. And if you want people to understand that you're angry, that's okay, but you don't want to be scary to them either. You know what I mean? However, these six base emotions aren't necessarily the end all be all. There was additional research conducted at the University of Glasgow Institute of Neuroscience and Psychology that suggests there's actually only four basic emotions, which are happiness, sadness, fear slash anger, and surprise slash disgust. They came to this conclusion kind of similar to that mirror exercise I just suggested. They researched by studying the range of different muscles within the face. There's 42 facial muscles, and they they programmed a computer to recognize the movement of all 42 of those muscles. They then programmed that computer to use those movements to adjust how they would do like a like a 3d rendering of a face and they presented the facial expressions that they created using these muscles to a test group the test group had to identify what the face was doing right so they would you know do one emotion and then they would tweak one or two facial muscles or they would take the amount of time that it would take the muscle to contract or expand or whatever and they would spread it out and basically was they found that happiness and sadness are pretty easy to distinguish from each other especially from the other two emotions that fear and surprise share a common goal for the similar time frame in the very beginning it's wide open eyes and then it it kind of resolves a little bit past that like whether it's going into um, something that we need to be scared of or something that is just oh wow that was a good joke right difference between a surprise party and noticing a burglar or a a thief in your house same kind of things hold true for anger or disgust initial early broadcasts of our emotions are very similar between the two and they become more apparent which emotion we're trying to send later on in our signaling after amplifying information such as body language or context is taken into play given that these emotions share early signals 
which were likely developed for their physiological benefits, part of our evolution, like in fear and disgust, the wide open eyes are designed to intake more light and intake more information. So since they shared those early signals, they combined them into the same base emotion. But these base emotions are a lot like primary colors. They can combine in various ways to create our perceptions of other emotions, and those are called complex emotions. So you have your basic emotions and complex emotions. Complex emotions are any combination of two or more of these emotions. For instance, hate is a combination of fear, anger, and disgust. Elation, happiness, and surprise. This can get a little bogged down if you try and create a root cause for every emotion you feel, but the basic understanding of these emotions lead us to understand every person basically. So certainly with the basic emotions, they are very clearly recognizable. And in general, I'm sure all of us can believe that on the surface, it's pretty easy to identify and diagnose how people are feeling, right? Well, we all know that tears are associated with sadness and smiles are associated with happiness and being red faced is associated with being angry, right? But those three things could also be from hysteria, both good or bad, relief or embarrassment. The ability to properly diagnose emotions is a skill we're constantly developing and one that changes through time as proper or polite displays of emotions and societal views on emotions change. Societal norms can play into it. Ethnicity and culture absolutely influence our displays and the acceptance of emotion. Kind of touching on some of the perceptions on why going to mental health is hard or the fleet's acceptance of the warrior toughness thing has a lot to do with what we as a military culture view as appropriate as far as emotions. Coming from my experience as a leading petty officer in 1st Marine Division, you know, this was a while, while back, but... My perception at the time was that me being emotional, particularly if I was hurt, sad, or depressed, was the antithesis of what a good leader did. I've since changed my perceptions, but those still existed back then, so maybe I didn't go ask the questions or be emotional when I needed to. In addition, there's a plethora of research surrounding the disparity between emotions in men and emotions in women and how they're perceived. As an example, right, uh, assertiveness is perceived and responded to based on assumed gender roles, right? A dominant, assertive male leader has leadership potential and is directed and can handle tough situations, while a dominant woman may be looked at as mean or controlling and people may not want to follow her. I'm certainly not trying to turn this into a conversation about emotional labor disparity, but it's something that could be worth diving into later. Uh, mm, I don't know. Uh, gonna have to think on that. But uh, I say all this to say that it, it's hard to properly navigate another person's emotions. Sometimes your perceptions are wrong or they're displaying things that make sense to them. And those things display something different to you than what they're trying to portray. As a leader at any level, and I'm specifically looking at the wardroom and the chief's mess when I say this, it is your responsibility to create an environment in which the people who choose to follow you can do the job the organization needs of them. Pratty, Douglas, Ferris, Amateur, and Buckley suggest that emotional intelligence is essential. Emotional intelligence of a team leader is important to the effective functioning of a team. Leader serves as the motivator towards collective action and facilitates the supporting relationships among leaders. The emotionally intelligent team leader also provides a transformational influence over the team. And yeah, a couple sentences ago, you heard that right, right? I said that the followers who choose to follow you, all sailors, whether they have been ordered to follow you or not, have the choice to follow you, right? They could choose to just disobey. They could choose to just not show up to work. They could choose to do these things. And sure, there's controls that kind of force people to do it. But for the most part, no matter what, people choose to follow you. They will always 
choose to follow you. And I would suggest that it's it's pretty helpful to think about that when interacting with your sailors. Managers have the ability to look over employees' shoulders and force them to do a very technical thing technically, but that's basically what Henry Ford did, forcing people to do one very specific action over and over and over because that was the most efficient thing to build automobiles. Not a whole lot of consideration was given about if the people enjoyed what they did. In the thick of it, if we're called to kill the enemy and break their stuff, I need to know that my followers not only have the technical proficiency to fight the ship, I need to know that they want to fight the ship. As an illustration, I'll use everyone's favorite topic, mandatory PT. Uh, in one of the shops I, I used to lead, we had mandatory PT every like two weeks, I think it was. It was never designed actually to improve people's physical fitness because twice a month just isn't going to make that happen. But it was designed for all of us to get out and just do something together. You know, we would usually play some sort of team sport like ultimate frisbee or something like that. But you know, that, that was the point it was just to do something as a group. Now, me personally, I am highly competitive. Like, passionately competitive. There is very little things that give me as big a hit of serotonin as beating another competitor, right? Video games, breakfast, whether or not my boots are the shiniest, whatever. I tend to turn a lot of my life into a competition somehow and and you know, my wife will tell you that that's probably not the healthiest thing I've ever done. But said differently and tying it into our topic, I'm emotionally motivated during competition. During these type of team games, I'm kind of the guy on the field that's running around like a madman, right? Now, not everyone is emotionally tied to competition like I am. So while they would, everyone would be on the field and everybody would be participating in the game and generally people would be having fun, they weren't necessarily sacrificing the body to make a diving catch in Ultimate Frisbee like I was. There's nothing wrong with that in this scenario. Right? The point of the PT was for us to play a game as a division and create camaraderie, not really how much effort you put into it. But there is a clear difference in effort when someone is emotionally motivated and when somebody isn't. So if we can take that example to the work center, if we as leaders create emotionally safe work centers that engage and cater to everyone's different emotions at the level that they want to be engaged with, productivity has to skyrocket. So, so now that we kind of understand that we should be managing people's emotions, how exactly can we improve each other's emotions? Well, first of all, recognizing that there's a room to grow and resources available is the first step. But you're already here, so we know that that box is checked. Next is to focus specifically on understanding our emotions and what makes our emotions tick. Allen and Hartman suggested that each facet of emotional intelligence can be focused on individually. Self-awareness can be improved through the use of five different things, individual reflection, group reflection, executive coaching, instruments, and personal development plans. So individual reflection is journaling basically. I cannot overstate the benefits of journaling your experience. We've talked a lot about the charge book on this podcast, specifically to chiefs, and for me, that's what I currently use as my journal. When I'm faced with emotionally taxing decisions or a scenario that there's really no right answer or there's a ton of right answers, I take the time to write out my experience. And I do that because I found that slowing my thoughts down to the speed at which I am capable of writing forces me to more clearly formulate my thoughts and easily diagnose when my own head or my heart in regards to emotions is getting in my way. I may still choose to go down that path because I like to choose the proverbial violence every now and then, but at least I'm more prepared for how my actions may impact the emotional health of my department or my work center before I take the action because I've had to slow down. I've clearly articulated what I'm going to do and I've kind of explored a little bit as to what my assumptions are for how that's going to be received. Recently, 
a story that just happened in the past couple of months, right? So in, in Navy officer candidate school, you have two RDCs and you have one gunnery sergeant, right? The gunnery sergeant is your drill instructor and then your two RDCs. And that's basically who is in charge of educating you and doing the thing, the boot camp thing, right? Well, the gunnery sergeant that we had assigned to our class was a little bit of a firebrand that did things his own way. And one of the things that he pretty consistently did was on the daily morning PT, he would tend to go past the kind of scheduled time allowed for that PT, which created a pinch spot between when PT ended and when we had to get to breakfast. So what he would do to counteract that pinch spot is he would just kind of like make us go through the motions of stretching, right? Like we wouldn't actually get any kind of stretch in instead of counting down or, or getting the time allotted that we were supposed to have for stretching. He would just, you know, switch, 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 switch. All right, you're done. You know, like we could, we could have a full cool down from a pretty strenuous PT done in 13 seconds, it seemed like. So that did not sit very well with me. Being a prior corpsman, being the fact that I'm in my mid-30s and going through a program designed for early 20s people, uh, I, I kind of relied on that stretching a little bit. So I had to... I spent a lot of time in OCS writing out my frustration with this situation and, and kind of, I had a, it wasn't my charge book because I didn't bring that to OCS, but I had a different journal that I bought specifically for, for OCS that I was writing my frustrations down and like what I would potentially do, what I wouldn't do. And if I hadn't done that uh, and I, and I just allowed myself to um, ride the emotional wave of post PT, all right, this is a gunnery sergeant. I have a lot of experience with gunnery sergeants. I can just go and talk to this guy. That probably wouldn't have gone well for me when instead, when I did decide to engage my gunnery sergeant about this, I was very prepared. I clearly articulated my point and I had a lot of answers for the, the sillier questions that he tended to ask because I had taken the time to think about it. And in the moment of the conversation, he didn't necessarily receive it well. But over time, we, we stopped having that problem and he continued to or he started to allow a full stretching scenario. So that was the benefit of journaling, right? Like I did, I took the time, I slowed down and I came up with a good solution as to what we could do. So the second thing that we can do to improve our self-awareness and emotional intelligence is group reflection. So self-reflection was writing in a journal and obviously it doesn't make a whole lot of sense for a whole department to journal together. But anyone who has any experience in the new leader development courses from NLIC knows, uh, groups can do things like chart pack exercises. And if you don't know what a chart pack is, it's basically where that, that like giant sheet of paper where you rip it off and it sticks to the wall you know you can do chart pack exercises where you like prompts are given and then small groups of like three or four or five depending on how big your your shop is formulate responses to them and then brief those responses to the larger group as an example writing prompt could be you have a sailor who just let you know that they're having significant relationships issues at home how do you talk with that sailor in that moment you know give people five minutes and then and then have those individual groups talk about it as a whole in the class you know you'll get answers of like oh well you got to be empathetic you've got to be understanding you don't want to tell him that it's his fault or maybe you want to ask about whether or not this is causing some sort of depression, like that kind of stuff. You get those kind of answers, right? And after that group uh, breakdown, you can then follow that up with another prompt of like, should you follow up with that sailor? Uh, at what point does your accountability end or your responsibility end to that sailor? Things like that. This allows us personally to divulge our personal emotions in relationship to workplace scenarios and then provide that personal emotional reaction into the group setting in a safe way where the group as a whole can determine if they want to adopt that as the truth or not. This is worth its time in gold. 
since it's fundamental in building a work center culture that everyone is invested in. You know, if you if you want to build a culture, if you want to build something where people are invested in, want to be at work, do things like this because your workplace culture will inherently be they will be inherently a part of that workplace culture because they help build it. I can't I can't overstate how important doing stuff like this can be. And even if you don't have chart pack exercises, right? Just thought exercise this out at muster someday instead of just passing down things like, oh yeah, well we gotta do a uniform inspection next week. We got you know this 3M to do whatever. Do things like this. Have a thought exercise. See what your sailors have to say. You might get some interesting answer. Third thing that you can do to improve Uh, emotional intelligence is executive coaching. So that's kind of the formal relationship between a coach and a client to develop behavioral improvements. In the Navy, we call this type of dynamic a mentor-mentee relationship. But personally, I'm not not really a fan of how the Navy does this kind of stuff. Uh, In my experience, it's almost expected that the mentee does all the work and the mentor just gives advice when asked, which is a little... A little silly if you ask me. I had, uh, at my last duty station, I had a HM3 who, well, he's HM2 now, but um, had an HM3 who was suggested to ask me to be his mentor because him and I have very similar thought processes and, and just how we experience the world. So he came and, and asked if we could have a conversation, and we did. And the way that this mentee-mentor relationship worked for us, like we didn't fill out the paperwork or have that silly kind of forced interaction every six months or whatever, but I would shoot him text messages every now and then. And I would, every time we got together, we would have specific things we were going to talk about. And when we left, he, he would kind of have homework, right. To bring to the next meeting that we had, which we clearly scheduled, you know, like it was while the, yes, the mentee is the one who's going to be doing the work is going to be, to be trying to develop themselves. The person who's doing the coaching, the person who's doing the mentor has to be willing to put in work to develop the plan for the other person to follow you. Like you can't just go to practice for any kind of sports. This is called coaching right executive coaching you can't just go to a sports practice and there not be a plan and just have the coach standing there like well yeah you know what what do you guys feel like we need to work on right now no that's not how it works if you're a mentor you need to build the plan you need to build the practice that was a little bit of a soapbox there but whatever we're gonna take it um and finally instruments to improve emotional intelligence there's things that alan at uh, all suggests that are, are like 360 degree feedback or self-assessments that you can do for those of you who that don't know 360 degree feedback is when you kind of get an evaluation not necessarily a formal evaluation but some sort of feedback from people all around you people who follow you so the people below you as far as direct reports go people above you like the people that you directly report to and then your peer group right if you get feedback from all of them on how you do what you do um, that's 360 degree feedback which rumor has it that the new navy evaluation system has going to incorporate that somehow but you know one i haven't really seen it so i can't guarantee that that is true and it'll be interesting to see how that plays out as far as emotional assessments go there's things like the mayor salovi caruso emotional intelligence test. Um, It's very similar to behavioral or personality assessments and other instruments that are useful in this, particularly regarding cultural or ethnical differences, is the Harvard Implicit Association Test, which can give a very objective scientific self-evaluation about our inherent biases that we all have. And there's a ton of different ones on the website. I I highly recommend going and and just kind of clicking around the uh, Implicit Association Test website for a little bit. It's, It's pretty fascinating. Finally, 
Simulations are things like case studies and elaborate outdoor activities. I think we all know what case studies are, but they're basically just, you know, you find paragraphs or a story about some sort of leader or work center that either did something really good or really bad. Usually most of the time it's really bad. And you kind of break down and discuss with your group about things that we agreed with that the leader did, things that we don't agree with, some situations that we think may come up because of this, like that kind of stuff. And those do, those really help like with the thought experiments similar to to group reflection and large-scale outdoor activities are things like uh, like major off-site team building events but specifically to the military a good example of this would was when I got to serve as the medical support for the two-week summer cruise for the Marine Corps midshipmen from the Academy so we did it in in the Mountain Warfare Training Center in Bridgeport California and basically we just spent 10 days out in the wilderness doing all kinds of stuff like rappelling down a cliff we built like a rope bridge uh, and then pulled ourselves across the creek. We did massive hikes, setting up, you know, bivouac areas and, and sleeping situations. And it was really cool to develop and help develop emotional intelligence through conversations and thought processes while doing these hard activities and living together in a difficult environment. So I I think that's I think that's where I'm going to kind of wrap it up a little bit for tonight. In closing, uh, I do want to leave you with some data to kind of drive home why this stuff is so important. So in 1994, there was a study done at American Express that financial advisors working there who worked under trained leaders in emotional intelligence intelligence could grow their business 18.1% over 15 months compared to 16.2% by advisors who worked under leaders not trained in emotional intelligence. So that's a what that's a 1.8, 1.9% delta over just because somebody's trained in emotional intelligence. Kind of backing up those claims, Jordan and Troth in 2017 evaluated 108 different teams across multiple cultures and ethnicities and found that teams with a higher collective emotional intelligence outperformed other their teams in direct comparison. So they basically just racked and stacked those 118 and they found the ones with higher emotional intelligence outperformed in direct comparison. High emotional intelligence was also positively correlated with creative conflict resolution strategies and that collaboration in general was more likely to happen between members with higher emotional intelligence. That result was also true even if only one person in the group was rated as a strong emotionally intelligent individual. So not everyone even has to be trained in this. Just one person can, can be the difference. And finally, Rigo et al. found that leaders' emotional intelligence scores affected team creativity. And when leaders demonstrated self-control against criticism and were more empathetic, creativity blossomed. Even further in that study, an increase in worker productivity occurred within one year, even when controls were adopted to count for other variables. Being emotionally intelligent is a requirement for effective leadership. And I, I think I've done a pretty decent job of articulating why I, I view it as foundational. With that, uh, I'm gonna wrap up by saying, go and participate in one of those new leader development courses being offered around the fleet. And if possible, do so outside of your chain of command and community if you can help it. If you're a surface cat, go and get some leadership training from those goofy submariners. If you're in aviation, trade your brown shoes for some black shoes. If you're FMF, go to a nearby Navy base or invite your Marine peers to attend a course with you. Start a journal. Have these thought exercises at muster. Reflect on your experience and develop and build that experience with your team. So I'm always looking for new ideas uh, for for new foundational episodes. I, I know, like, like I said at the beginning of this whole thing, I do intend on continuing to produce for you. So if you have ideas or you have you know, leadership rabbit holes that you want to go down or that you find really interesting, shoot us a message. Let me know. 
Um, I'd love to dive down it myself. There's probably not probably there's a ton of stuff out there that I don't know. And I love using this platform as an excuse to go and, and learn more stuff. As far as outreach goes, don't give up the ship podcast at gmail.com. Feel free to reach out to us Send anything you want. Um, direct message us, interact with the posts on Facebook and Instagram at don't give up the ship podcast. There's also don't give up the ship podcast on Reddit and D guts podcast subreddit. Uh, and you can, you can find us in all the other Navy major subreddits. And even if you don't want to reach out to us directly, please, please, please interact with these posts and very on the various platforms. It, it helps the algorithms get us to where we want to be. And we appreciate that. Finally, there was a new D guts Substack that was created. Um, there's some articles that are being written right there over there and, and like different, different styles of podcasts that are happening. So go check that out at uh, the D gut Substack. And then if you want to support us, help us keep the lights on, go check out D guts podcast.com slash stop the shop. Uh, it pays for subscription fees and everything like that. There's absolutely no profit that anybody here at D guts is getting. There's some cool stuff, stickers, shirts, that kind of stuff. Overall, you get something we get to keep bringing you content and if you want to support all of our projects not just this podcast go check out the the new dgutsapparel.com um, for some navy pride and heritage gear that you'll actually wear in public there's some good hoodies shirts there's some cool stuff out there so with that um, it's been a pleasure and uh, thank you for listening and as always don't give up the ship.